What a blessing we have with the voices and music in this church. Our scriptures today are from Proverbs 25, verse 28, and 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, from the Common English Bible. A person without self-control is like a breached city, one with no walls. Don't you know that all the runners in the stadium run, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. Everyone who competes practices self-discipline in everything. The runners do this to get a crown of leaves that shrivel up and die, but we do it to receive a crown that never dies. So now this is how I run, not without a clear goal in sight. I fight like a boxer in the ring, not like someone who is shadow boxing. Rather, I'm landing punches on my own body and subduing it like a slave. I do this to be sure that I myself won't be disqualified after preaching to others. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Steve. So today begins our Lenten worship series. We've titled it Fasting for Feasting. I think we're all pretty well familiar with the practice of fasting during the season of Lent. You might have tried that before, right? Some of you fast from things like Diet Coke or chocolate or maybe meat on Friday or dessert or TV or something like that. Any, any of you giving up anything for the season of Lent? <laughs> Evidently not us Methodists, right? <laughs> All right, so much for that. Well, I'm going to invite you to fast from a couple of things over the next few weeks just to kind of think about how these are practices in our lives that maybe we could give up short-term, long-term, so that we might have room for other things in our lives. When when you read in Galatians, which is kind of the, the start of this whole thinking of the fruit of the Spirit that we're investigating for the next few weeks, when you read in Galatians, Paul invited the readers in Galatians to fast permanently from some things that had infiltrated their community of faith. They are harsh things that he lists. The list is immorality, moral corruption, hedonism, idolatry, drug use, casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive obsession, conflict, selfishness, cliques and gangs, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I'm not sure Paul actually missed anything on that list, right? All of the bad things that we humans can do and that we know that there are laws, human laws and godly laws against those things. The ways in which Paul is reproving them as a community of faith, right? But he turns around and says, if you fast from these things, if you eliminate these things from your lives as a community of faith, then other things might come forth. And he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. He says what can grow would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he wants these to come forth because there's no law against any of those things. They can abound. They can be abundant. They can overflow to a community of faith. There's no guards around those, no fence. Paul wants those to come forth. So in the context of Paul in Galatia, these things had infested the community of faith, and he's inviting them to something else. 
for us, in a little bit more of a modern context, we're going to juxtapose some modern kinds of things that aren't on Paul's list because they weren't in Paul's world of his day. We're going to think about some things that we do that we might want to fast from so that we can investigate the timeless list of Paul's fruit of the Spirit, how we might see some of these things come forth. So we're going we're gonna to think about social media as a platform, but we're going to think about how humans communicate with one another and maybe the need for some self-control in our lives. Right? But I want to start with an experiential question. I want to see if any of you have had this experience in your life as I have. How many of you have ever had a chance to drive on the Autobahn in Europe? Anybody? A few of us have had a chance to do that, right? Now I'm going to admit to you right up front, I have an addiction I have an addiction to speed. Not the drug. Speed as in how fast a car can go, right? Except for in my neighborhood and for the most part on Ward Parkway, although we know that's kind of like our own little Autobahn right out there during the week, amen? Right? I like a fast car. I like to drive fast. Thus, the Autobahn was made for me and I was made for the Autobahn, right? That was a great place. I loved driving on the Autobahn. During my military days when I was in Germany, I had a civilian friend who leased a Mercedes-Benz 300. That car was made for the Autobahn as well. You could get in that thing and flat out fly down the highway. He let me drive it one time. And I have to tell you, dear friends, that's about as close to heaven on earth as I have ever come in my life. That was a great car to drive on the Autobahn. It was bliss to drive it. Unlike my personal vehicle, which was a Volkswagen Golf 2 <laughs> that had a max speed of about 92.8 miles an hour, which on the Autobahn is dangerously slow. Right? But the one advantage that my Volkswagen hand, had is, is it handled really great on all the secondary roads in Germany, the little country roads that are just flat and curvy that go from town to town and village to village. You could just drive that thing as fast as you wanted and not even miss a turn or anything. It was great to drive on the secondary roads. But the problem with the secondary roads is is that's where they usually did their speed traps. The police would usually have a little speed trap, and if you were going too fast on the secondary road, which did have speed limits, They'd pull you over, right? So I'm going home one day from work. I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm speeding down this secondary road, and I go through a speed trap, and I get pulled over. Now, lucky for me, the policeman that pulled me over was also my neighbor in the small town that I lived in. He walks up to my car, and he looks at me, and in his thick German accent, he says, Jim, what are you doing? Now, luckily for me, I didn't say the first thing that came to mind, which was, I'm driving, right? I looked at him and I said, you know, I'm sorry. I just simply was not paying attention to how fast I was going. He charged me 10 Deutschmarks on the spot and let me go without a ticket, which saved me about 140 Deutschmarks, right, at the time. I wonder how often we find ourselves not paying attention to what's going on in our lives. We're not paying attention to what we're doing. We're not paying attention to the effect that it has on us. And we're not really paying attention to the effect that it's having on anyone around us. If you think about one of the modern inventions of today that many of us are familiar with and might utilize, one of those is social media. And if you're not on social media, 
I'm going to guarantee you there's somebody in your life that is on social media. It could be one of your kids, your grandkids, a niece, a nephew, someone, right? There's people that you know that are on social media. Now, we know that social media can be a very useful tool. Here at St. John's, we use social media to communicate a variety of things. We post up about our worship services. We post up about our youth events and our adult events. We announce different things that are going on in our community of faith so that people on that sphere of communication can see who we are and hear what we are doing. But we also know that social media has its dark side as well. Amen? Right? We've all seen it. Unfortunately, on social media, it seems like there are few constraints on what you can post. You can feel free to post just about whatever you want. I'm fascinated by the conversations that take place on social media that really aren't conversations, right? They are two people who are arguing over points. We post something. We post typically our opinion about something. We think it's universal truth for everyone else, and we can't fathom the fact that somebody else could think differently about this subject than us, right? And so it's a fast way to convey an idea, but it's the least effective way to carry on another a conversation with another human being, right? We post stuff without really thinking about the consequences for ourselves and even others. Now, you can go beyond social media. We do this in how we do interact with one another in our so-called conversations as well. When we think about social media and the dark side of it, one of the things that we need to be aware of is, is how this affects the younger generation as well. In particular, when you think about the term cyberbullying and how prevalent and commonplace that is today. I read an article uh, from DoSomething.org and it had 11 facts in it about cyberbullying that many of us are not even aware of today, right? 43% of our kids are bullied online today. Did you get that statistic? Almost half of our kids are bullied online. 25% of them, it's more than once. It's kind of consistent for them. 70% report having seen it online. 80% of teenagers today have a cell phone, and the most common tool used for cyberbullying is a cell phone. 68% of teens agree that cyberbullying is a serious problem for their generation. 81% of teens think that cyberbullying is easier to get away with than bullying someone in person. The anonymity to it, right? 90% of teens who see cyberbullying ignore it. One in ten victims will tell an adult or a trusted parent that they are being bullied. Only 10% will tell someone that this is going on. Girls are twice as likely to be victims and perpetrators of cyberbullying. 58% of teens admit that someone has said mean or hurtful things to them more than once online. Bullying victims, we also know, are more likely to commit suicide. And 75% of teens admit that they've gone to someone else's Facebook wall to read the bullying that's going on. Social media, its presence. Frankly, dear friends, there are enough of us adults who struggle with the appropriate use of social media and things like that. I'm not convinced that our younger generations are wise enough, maybe, 
to be able to automatically discern what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It takes good role models. It takes us being a part of this and celebrating what's good in our world, not bad. A friend of mine posted something that I thought was rather provoking. They said, no one has ever changed the world by posting something controversial on Facebook. Right? No one has ever changed the world for the better by posting something controversial on Facebook. I want us to seriously consider for a moment, is our speech, is there the possibility that our speech is a little bit out of control in how we handle this as adults? Right? You think about it. Your opinion is strong. It's righteous. It's true. It makes perfect sense in your head. And you can't fathom that someone can't see your point of view and adopt it, that they might disagree with you. Right? And if they do disagree with you, it just simply gives you permission to light them up in the social sphere as we think about it, right? And we wonder, how do our kids learn to have such strong opinions about things? How do our kids learn what it means to talk about other people in the ways in which they do, right? Ever think about the tainted fruit that might be coming out of our mouths and the young people around us that are taking bites from that tainted fruit? Are we paying attention to the effects it has for ourselves and others? The proverb says that a person without self-control is like a breached city, one that has no walls. And this verse is extolling for us the quiet inner mastery of discipline, the mastery of oneself, that the inner self can be like an unruly city inhabited by our rebellious feelings. And these feelings disturb us in such a way that they come forth out of our mouths. They break down any kind of self-preserving boundaries that we might have. Our unbridled speech tears down the integrity of the walls that are around our hearts and our lives. Our corruption sets in. It becomes bad fruit. It takes root, seed, and it bears fruit. It bears fruit for us. It bears fruit for others. The proverb says that without discipline and wise counsel, mastery of the internal world is near impossible. And yet Paul counsels, Paul says that we should be able to have this, right? That we need to learn to put some guards around the inner self, to have walls. Have you ever heard of someone described as having no filter? Right? A person that has breached walls that has no parameters, no guidelines, no constraints around them. Paul says that we need to be like disciplined athletes. We need to be a people who are practicing disciplines in our lives, going through a regimented training program so that we might be able to achieve the goal, that we bring our bodies into submission to this rigid discipline so that we can keep the bad things at bay and let the good things grow within us. I I think of Olympic athletes and all that they go through to try to achieve the prize of a medal, right? I watched Sean White's half-pipe snowboard run at the Olympics. Try to say that three times fast, right? You know? But if you watched his Olympic gold medal run, it was fascinating to watch that. But I think about the discipline and the practice to be able to do that, knowing that if you fall, that's got to hurt an awful lot when you hit that ice. Right? When you hit that thing. But to think about the mental visualization of this, the twist, the turns, all that he wants to do to maneuver his body around. 
It's just dizzying to me watching it on TV. I can't imagine being in the middle of trying to perform that. But he has discipline. He has practices. He has self-control to be able to excel at it so that he could win the prize, the gold medal. I think life is supposed to be like that for us. And that the gold medal for us in this life is the fruit of the Spirit. The good fruit of the Spirit. For us to be a people who are practicing and pursuing these fruits of the Spirit being self-control. One writer puts it this way, says the challenge is difficult. It's difficult because it challenges our thoughts, our finances, our time, our physical, our marital, our ministerial lives. All of these things need continuous maintenance because without continuous maintenance, our spiritual power seeps out through the unguarded gates. So what are we going to do to guard the gates of our body, our mind, and our spirit? What would be our modern understanding of of practices that would empower us to live with self-control, that would produce this fruit of self-control in us? What are we going to do to pay attention so that self-control might come forth? I'm going to give you three things that Wesley proposed to all of us. There were Wesley's three simple little rules that he said that we should strive to live by. Because I think in these three rules, self-control is a possibility. It can be the fruit that comes forth. Wesley says that the first thing that we should do is seek to do no harm in our lives. Now, for most of us, we think of this as physical, right? Seek to do no harm to another person. Don't put your hands on someone else that you shouldn't put your hands on. Don't harm another person physically. But what about our words and our attitudes? Do not they harm just as much as anything physically that we could do? Wesley would counsel us to seriously examine the words that we use, the conversations that we have, the ways in which we interact with one another, so that we might in some ways put aside the things that bear bad fruit, to be able to envelop thought, word, and deed from God that would produce good fruit. To seek to do no harm in our words. That may mean for some of us that we probably need to really fast from social media this season. Because in many ways we put things out there that aren't exactly doing a lot of good. Allie and I have been talking about this for a while. There's kind of a litmus test that we think we should use when it comes to social media and different things like that. And the litmus test is simply this. Is it helpful? Is it necessary? Does it promote peace? If it can't pass that short little litmus test, do we really need to post it for all the world to see? Do we need to say it for others to hear? Right? Seek to do no harm with our words and our thoughts. Seek to do only good in our lives is the second thing that Wesley says. Seek to do good for others. Now we... We have ample mission opportunities here at St. John's. You guys see them all the time. They're in our invitations. There are ways in which you can participate in the things that we are doing. Through the season of Lent, simply bring some fruit each Sunday. You see a list in your worship guide of what each Sunday we're, we're gathering. And you can help provide fruit to people who are at neighbor to neighbor. That's one way in which you can simply serve. But the other things that I would encourage us to do is examine how we live as well. Beyond just that kind of act of service, how do we live in this world? Do we continue to resist the power of consumerism to have more and more that we really don't need? Do we look at our footprint and how do we control our footprint? As Michael Slaughter would say, do we live simply so that others might simply live? 
We need to look at those things as well and seek to do only good in this world. And finally, Wesley would say we need to figure out how to stay in love with God. But that's one of the great things that we are called to do. Scripture reading, prayer, fasting, meditation, worship, socializing with other Christians, communion. These are all the ways in which it builds up our relationship with the body of Christ. Yes, but it builds our relationship with God as well. It helps us to learn who God is and to love God. And maybe from that, we learn to use social media for the positive things, like sharing God's love with all people. Because according to Wesley, these are the things that will secure the walls around our souls. These are the things that will nourish us and and bring forth the good fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of self-control. It takes discipline. It takes self-control. It takes daily living into some kind of practice for us to be able to see that fruit come forth. So I'd like to lovingly suggest to all of us that, that maybe we should fast for a while from social media or the ways in which we carry on conversations that aren't beneficial, right? And invest in developing more disciplined lives, more disciplined conversations, lives that will manifest these simple rules of do no harm, seek to do only good, stay in love with God. And can our conversations carry that tenor as well? So here's your golden nuggets for today, the things you get to take away and and talk about with one another. I think most of us are aware of the ways in which we live our lives that are undisciplined. We might be conscious of some of the bad fruit that comes forth. We might not be paying attention to how it affects us and how it affects others. But God wants us to live disciplined lives, to lead disciplined lives, to have the wall of protection around our souls so that that good fruit of self-control might come forth and nourish the world. Because in it we become a people who practice some simple things. We become people who do no harm, who seek to do only good, who are in love with God, and that shows. So here's your invitation for today. Do you seriously need to fast from from social media? (laughs) I mean, that may be one thing for some of us. We may need to really look at that and gauge whether it's bearing good fruit or bad fruit for us and the world. And in fasting, is there an opportunity for you to feast? Is there an opportunity for you to feast on what it means to do no harm, to seek to do only good? to stay in love with God. Every week in our worship guide, we publish ways for you to worship, learn, serve, and witness together as a community of faith. They are ways in which we believe you can feast on Wesley's three simple rules, these simple practices and many others, if you will make them intentional in your lives, can bear fruit. We believe good fruit. The good fruit of self-control among other things. So it's an invitation for you to come and feast. To feast on the disciplined life that God has in mind for you. To let the ground of your soul become fertile ground for the good fruit that God wants to produce in you. So will you come? Will you come? Will you join me in prayer? Merciful God, today we stop to think about the bad fruit that might be coming forth from our lives. In particular, in the unruly world of social media. If our words have done any harm to another person, knowingly or unknowingly, we seek your forgiveness, O God. 
But we also pray that you give us the strength to seek out that person and ask for their forgiveness as well. Help us to seek your discipline in our lives. The self-control that can come and be the walled city around our hearts. The walled city that protects us from the bad fruit in this world. Teach us to do no harm, to seek to do only good, to stay in love with you. And from this model of self-control, we ask that you produce the good fruit in us, this fruit that will nourish the world, especially those closest to us. Grant us the strength of your Holy Spirit that we might seek to live in unity with others and in the unity of your love. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time for our morning offering. As they come